All right, we're ready to get going again. This time we are looking at the next section in Numbers, uh, which takes up several of the chapters, chapters 22 through 25. Uh, last time we got together, we only went through uh, chapter 21, um, but covered a lot of ground um, in looking at the plague that went through Israel and their need to look up at the bronze serpent and, of course, the connections to New Testament passages there. Um, but this uh, this time, we're looking at a story that I think a lot of times can be overlooked, even though it is mentioned several times outside of this section. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot to glean from it. But uh, Numbers chapters 22 through 25 are what we're looking at today, and that covers basically the story of Balaam. So um, so we're going to get started here. Before we go in chapter by chapter like we normally do, do um, would y'all like to open up with anything that stood out to you as you read through this time? Because I know we've all read through this scripture before mm-hmm. um, that stuck out to you uh, maybe differently uh, this read through. Go ahead. Oh, sure. Yeah. So something that... Um, I thought was really interesting that kind of follows the themes that we've talked about a lot um, in this study is that God is the same across the board. And it doesn't matter if you're an Israelite or um, a Moabite or an Amorite or whatever, God's standard is going to be the same across the board. And that really kind of stands out when Balak is like, hey, what if we went to another mountain and maybe God would change his mind because God's different on that mountain over there. You look at it, it's like, well... That's kind of dumb. But then I also think about how, like, kids, they ask one parent something, and one parent says no. It's like, oh, let's go ask Dad. Maybe Dad will say yes. And that's not the way it works with God, no matter how much we want it to be true. Yeah. What about you, Sherry? Um, So the main thing that I've kind of been focusing on uh, lately is just um, since this, um, since I've been reading over Alexander's material on the names of God, um, I thought, you know what, I'm going to look up and see what their names mean. Mm-hmm. So, Balak means to lay waste. And Balaam means to swallow people. Hmm. So, Bala, to swallow, and A-A-M means either kinsmen or people. So, I just thought that was really interesting because it kind of fits in. Mm-hmm. with this story <laughs> yeah okay all right so on my read through um we've kind of talked about this uh previously to coming together but it just is it, it is sticking out to me um in everyday life in seeing this play out like elizabeth was alluding to with the kids and and different scenarios with that but it is just interesting to me, no matter where we are in Scripture, um, one of my aunt's things, you know, I've asked her, you know, hey, what's your favorite book of the Bible, you know, just overall or whatever. And it is interesting. Her answer is, well, whatever one I'm studying at that time, you know. And um, and it is just so uh, impressive to me. That, you know, as I'm reading through this and, you know, walking through everyday life that I'm starting to see the characteristics pop out for good and for bad, you know, but in particular in this one, the bad uh, characteristics that helps me. I mean, it 
it gives that wisdom that God has promised, I think, that if you are paying attention to what's going on around you, you see these same threads all around you of, quote, Balaam behavior. Um, and so anyway, so that's what it struck out, struck to me um, in this read through is I don't, there are other people, Pharaoh and, um, uh, you know, different examples of, you know, stubbornness or bad behavior or whatever that I'm quick to draw to mind, you know, uh, in talking to my kids, we don't want to be like that, Mm -hmm. but not so much Balaam. Um, and I just, like I said, I think, I think we overlook this, but I think it is, well, I know it is something that God purposed for us to draw a lot of lessons from. So anyway, that's kind of what I was taking from this overall read through. Okay. So we'll go ahead and jump into the first chapter here, which is chapter 22. Um, and uh, Elizabeth, do you mind walking through the narrative and then we'll just pull like the different lessons that maybe we drew ourselves as we're reading through that. Sure. So chapter 22 opens with, or starts the story of Balaam and Balak. And this is somewhere distant from where Israel is. So this is not really connected to the people of Israel. This is the, the Moabites. So Balak is the the king of Moab, and he's looking, he's seeing the Israelites, and he's getting a little scared. But he knows there's this guy named Balaam who is known for giving pronouncements on people and that his word is true. Because it says in verse 6, he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So Balaam already kind of has this reputation of someone that can wield immense power. Mm -hmm. Um... So, uh, Balak sends his guys to talk to Balaam, and he welcomes them in and, you know, gives them a meal, lets them stay the night, and they say that Balak, the king of Moab, has sent us to you, and he wants you to curse Israel. And Balaam says, no, I'm not going to do that, um, because God had told him not to do that. So, this kind of opens the door into gives us a little insight into where Balaam might be getting his power from and his relationship with God. Um, So he tells the messengers, no, go away. We're not going to come with you. So they go back to Balak and say, hey, Balaam's not going to come with us. And Balak is, like, really upset about this. So he sends more people. He's just going to wear them down. And he sends an even more almost, like, desperate message the second time saying that I'm going to give you great honor and I'll give whatever you want. Just, like, do this for me, please. And Balaam, again, lets lets the messengers into his house and inquires of God. And God says, okay, you can go with him this time, and but you can only do what I tell you to do. You can only say what I tell you to say. Um, So this part kind of interested me, and we can talk about this a little bit later, about whether or not, like, what Balaam's true intentions were and what God's true intentions were. Because then in that next verse, after Balaam goes, it says that God's anger was kindled against him because because he went, which confused me a little bit because it's like, okay, you told him he could go, but you're mad at him for going. Um, that's like a side trail we can get on once I get through the narrative. And so this is where we get the kind of classic story about the donkey. So he's going, and the angel of the Lord stops in front of their path. So the first time, the donkey just kind of moves off to the side, and Balaam hits hits the donkey, and she keeps going. 
and then they're in a narrow place and the angel of the Lord's in front of them. And so she kind of leans up against the wall and Balaam whacks her again to keep her going. And now the third time they're in a place where they can't move and the angel of the Lord's in front of them. So she just lays down and Balaam gets really upset, starts whacking the donkey again. And then the donkey talks to him. And so she's like, hey, why are you hitting me? Like, what have I done? Have I ever done this to you? And I, I don't know, I thought verse 30 was so funny because he's just talking to the donkey like they're buddies, <laughs> just having a normal conversation. And the donkey says, is it my habit to treat you this way? And he says, no. It's like, huh, I guess this isn't a normal thing that's going on. Um, and then Balaam sees the angel of the Lord and he bows himself down. He humbles himself and acknowledges that he sinned. He didn't know that God was standing in his way. And God just reaffirms that, okay, you're going. Yes, we're, we're cool with that now, but you really can only say what I tell you to say. And so they finally get to Moab. They meet Balak. And Balak is so mad at him. It's like, why didn't you come? Didn't I say I would honor you? Like, is my honor, is my praise not good enough for you? And Balaam just kind of said, you know, I'm here now. I'm only going to say what God tells me to say. So that, that's what's going to happen, just being very upfront with him, which is um, important to remember going to the next few chapters. Okay, thank you. That's a lot of narrative to cover. I appreciate you to do that. Um, Sherry, uh, I know there's a lot to pull out from here, but would you like to get us started with, with that? Okay, so um, it seems if you read the story, uh, I've, I've read it several times, and so every time you read it, you kind of come, come away with a different, um, with, with another um, aspect of it that you hadn't thought of before. When I first read this story um, years ago, I thought, this is the weirdest story um, because it seems like God is kind of two-faced. He's like, no, you can't go. Okay, go, but don't do this. Okay, but well, okay. And then it's like, and so it seems to me like this time I read it. Um, so Balaam wants to curse Israel. That's what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, in the beginning, it seems like he doesn't want to do anything that God doesn't want him to do. But in reality... It's like, I can't do anything that God doesn't want me to do. Mm -hmm. It's not that I don't want to, it's that I can't. Right. Um, uh, and he's probably experienced this before. We don't have any history on, you know, what prophecies he'd made previously, but apparently when he has spoken to bless or curse a people in the past, he sort of has a reputation of that coming true. Mm -hmm. Um um, like a sort of Nostradamus type guy who is like can predict the future and nobody knows exactly why that is um, but it's because he's God's mouthpiece and he's speaking for God he's not speaking out of his own head he's speaking what God told him to speak um, and I don't know if that's a miraculous thing like God takes control of his tongue or if it's a thing where he just knows that he better say whatever God said to say. I don't know. But uh, either way, um, God's in control of this. So um, so it seems like God and Balaam are involved in this sort of dance. Mm 
-hmm. And God is in the lead. And Balaam is being led along, and he may be going through the dance in a way that he doesn't really want to, but he doesn't really have much of a choice. A choice. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it seems that um, he's making a mockery of Balaam mm -hmm. um, in the donkey incident. Um, and even, you know, when we look at the, when we look at the, um, the other references to this story, like uh, in Second Peter, uh, chapter two, verse fifteen and sixteen, um, it clearly indicates that that Balaam was that God was making a mockery of Balaam by allowing a donkey to advise him. Basically, God moves through a donkey to try to get through to Balaam. Like, I have to go through this dumb animal to mm. get you to see what I'm trying to say here. Mm -hmm. um, like, you're not getting the message, so I'm gonna have this donkey talk to you yeah. and see if you get it that way. Apparently does get it that way, but, um, uh, so, um, the, the, the upshot of the whole thing is that when God wants to bless or curse a people, they will be blessed or cursed. Mm -hmm. And regardless of the messenger, um, when God speaks through a messenger, it's God's message, not the messenger's message. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> so regardless of the inclination of a prophet, um, the fact that a person is labeled a prophet or a messenger from God doesn't um, necessarily speak anything good or bad about that person's character. Right. It's just God is using this person to, to do this. Makes you think um, of Jonah. Makes you think of Jonah. Mm -hmm. Makes you think of um, uh, other other instances um, where um, a person is speaking the words of God even though they don't realize they're actually speaking for God. Mm -hmm. um, but God is going to, he uses the Pharaoh in that way. He used Pilate in that way. In certain circumstances, Pilate, you know, said some things that it's like, okay, well, that's true. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't mean Pilate was a great guy. It just means God is going to get his message through however that can work. Right. Um, and so um, I think sort of the message of this, um, this, chapter to me is that um, God is going to bless who he's going to bless and he's going to curse who he's going to curse and regardless of what the messenger wants to do um, God's will is going to be accomplished and um, and then later you know we'll get into it's interesting to me too that he he doesn't in the whole in the, the whole retelling of you know all all three is that three two three two four so basically three chapters is talking mostly about Balaam and Balak. Mm -hmm. um, there's not there's not a mention of actually what we call Balaam's sin mm -hmm. because Balaam's sin, I mean not that he wasn't sinning you know in going with the people to begin with. 
or in you know trying to trying to abuse his animal but um the sin of Balaam is not cursing or blessing the people the sin of Balaam isn't even really mentioned in, I mean God doesn't even say okay but then this is what he did mm-hmm. we just know that from history we know that from the next chapter what happened in the next chapter and it doesn't even really mention Balaam having done having been the instigator but we know from other passages that he was the instigator of it. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Balaam uh, becomes sort of a, a byword. Mm-hmm. Like um, when God says, after Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, after that, every king that comes to the throne that follows in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, um, it's mentioned. Okay, he followed, he followed, made Israel to follow Jeroboam, son of Nebat, in committing idolatry. It's like the sins of Jeroboam, the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, is synonymous with idolatry. Right. And so, you know, the sin of Balaam is undermining people going around. In indirect way to undermine people um, deceptively, that's the sin of Balaam. Right. And even though you don't read about him making that decision and advising Balak until till much later, mm-hmm. it's like okay, that was the sin of Balaam. He <laughs> he knew he wanted to help Balak defeat the Israelites even though he knew God didn't want. So he figured a way to go go around God and get it to happen another way. Right. And that's the sin of Balaam. And I think we do that a lot. Yes. I we know do that we a do. lot. And yeah. it's um it's really pervasive and sometimes we don't see it. Um I think Balaam saw it, but but uh it, it anyway, it's it's one it's a thing that we need to to take a lesson from and it is a byword because um you know god is not happy with um trying to go another way around to finagle to get your way mm-hmm. um when he's clearly said not to do that right well and so you were mentioning about you know if god is going to curse or bless someone that will happen and i think uh, a point kind of um, uh, tangent to that a little bit is is this sobering fact that you know we can see here in Balaam and we can see in other places through scripture that whatever a person is wanting to do that is the thing that they will get mm-hmm. you know like in the New Testament we read about whatever a person sows they also mm-hmm. reap but you know on the level of uh, it just it it really sobers me to the bone to think the desires of my heart God will grant that it is up to me to figure out truly are the desires of my heart to be holy like God or are the desires of my heart to do what I want to do mm-hmm. and I, I do see that a lot you know in this scripture um, where there's a lot of lip service given to oh only what the lord says but the actions 
say otherwise. And like you said, it is it is so pervasive. Um, and and I and the bywords again, I see that in our own families. And Seth is good to do this to to bring this to light with our kids and uh, with us even. You know, we'll and usually it's something lighthearted, but. Somebody will do something and we'll say, oh, well, we're pulling a Leon, are we? You know, or whatever, you know. And it could be in a negative sense, but it can also be in a positive sense. And I think about, you know, people like David. You know, they walked in the ways of David. Mm-hmm. Or, as you said, they walked in the ways of Jeroboam. It's all dependent on what that person desired mm-hmm. and how their behavior followed through with that. Um, but I think this is this is something that is so tricky as you were saying because it is so per- so pervasive and you have to be truly honest to the core mm-hmm. because i do it to me it seems like balaam is someone who had um deceived himself maybe into believing you know on some surface level i really am doing what god would have me to do mm-hmm. But let me see if I can also get this in. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and and what a, a great point of you bringing up Second Peter, that it took a donkey mm-hmm. to get through to him. And I again, I mean, not trying to be light about it, but I think about some of the dumb people that it takes. And I put dumb in quotations, but that base people that sometimes we don't get the message until it comes from. Some someone who is the least likely. Mm-hmm. Our child. She, yeah, yeah. Well, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> From the mouth of babes. Yes, mm-hmm. but even people of the world that yeah. you know, like, what do they even know? But sometimes yeah. that message comes through that, and that's embarrassing. You mm-hmm. know that wow, I you know who ought to know better, and mm-hmm. even like you're saying, mm-hmm. through the child, we I won't even go through the thing today, but I had one of those instances today where, you know, I'm looking at one of my kids and saying, read my lips. And then hearing, not even five minutes later, the littlest say, read my lips. <laughs> and I just, and I had to, you know, eat a little crow with the one that I was talking to. But anyway, about, mm-hmm. you know, just how we interact with one another. So mm-hmm. all that to say, I appreciate you bringing out, especially the pervasive nature of that, mm-hmm. because um, it is scary to me because this is one that is it's so easy to put a sheen over mm-hmm. and we really do only want to speak the words of God mm-hmm. well we can speak the words of God all day long that doesn't mean necessarily that our mm-hmm. motives are pure um, mm-hmm. so got to be careful about that anything else that you had on 22 before we hop to the next chapter Elizabeth no I think I'm good okay all right so um, in so we get Balaam to Balak um, and and through you know the scenario of God making sure, <clears throat> excuse me, that it is clear to him that he will not speak, which makes me think you know you were saying you know not sure about the, the miraculous or not, and and I, you know certainly we can't say for sure, but that makes me think that surely he had a choice in it mm-hmm. if God is going to all this extent mm-hmm. to you know make sure you understand this you know don't step over this line. Um, but anyway, uh, so chapter 23, he's there with Balak and we go through the altar building, setting up the stations. Um, God comes and meets Balaam on the, the first part and, um, and gives him words to speak. And, uh, so 
verses 7 through 10, you've got this first pronouncement, um, which basically, and again, this, you know, we've talked about this before, but we've got, you know, in poetic form, so to speak, um, this pronouncement. And I mean, it's, it's very straightforward of um, there, there is not any way that God will be cursing uh, the Israelites, but in fact, he will be blessing them. Um, and Balak is obviously upset about this because that's not what he paid Balaam to come mm-hmm. <laughs> come and do. And um, and they, you know, have that same back and forth as they they have before. And um, but then Balak says he's not discouraged. I mean, if if anything, he is a persistent fella, and he says, "Let's go to another place." Um, let's see if you can curse him from there. Um, and then same, you know, same setup. Um, and then he asks, well, what, what has God spoken to you? And, um, Balaam again delivers another, no bones about it. Jacob will be, you know, the one ruling over and God is not going to allow them to be brought down. Um, and so... Um, in verse 27, we have the last round. This is at the end, you know, end of the chapter here. Um, and, and we're going to go one more round on, um, on the altar. And then we, uh, go, I'm going to go ahead and run through 24 since we're, you know, I don't want to break that up too much, but chapter 24 starts off with, um, a little bit different, set up here. So verse one says, he did not go as at other times to seek for omens, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And I almost wonder if Balaam is not at this point going, well, I mean, I already know where we're going with this. Um, And so anyway, this, this one does seem to be miraculous, at least the way I read it. Maybe it's not, but where it says the spirit of God came upon him and here he's uttering forth. Um, and I just, I appreciate in this one um, the way that he ends, you know, again, the same sort of section of, you know, here are the people that, you know, are supposedly great, you know, among the nations, but they are nothing before God. And then verse 9 um, says, they crouch, crouch and lie down like a lion, and as a lioness, who can stir him? Blessed is the one who blesses you, and cursed is the one who curses you. Um, and and I always it, it is I don't know why this verse always sticks out to me when I read this, but you know that that third time through it says Balak struck his hands together, and I just you know it's such a vivid you know picture of like are you kidding me you know, um, and you know again. Verse 25, this last section, uh, oh, I, I'm sorry, let me turn over this. Um, sorry, after that, Balaam said to Balak, um, I did not also, did I not also send your messengers uh, whom you sent to me if Balak would give me full uh, 
full uh, palace or his palace full of silver and gold. I cannot go beyond the commandment. So again, it's uh, to me this this defensive talk of like I, it ain't me, man. You know, um, like I already told you, I couldn't speak anything else. But I almost seem to me seems like you know like worming out. Like look, 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 look. We can still work this out. Mm-hmm. Um, and because in verse fourteen he says, now I'm about to go back to my own people. Come now, I will advise you what to do with these people in the future, um, and and I'm gonna I'm bringing that out because there's more to say on that as as uh, Sherry has alluded to um, on what exactly that advice is, and we find out in more detail in other passages. But then um, he does go through this last uh, oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eyes are open. Um, and he goes through what God has shown him. And um, in particular, verse 17, a star will march forth out of Jacob and a scepter will rise out of Israel. Verse 19, a ruler will be established from Jacob. He will destroy the remains of the city. And then the rest of this chapter, he's going through different um, places that are going to perish. They're, go- they're not going to last and so on. In other words... Israel is going to be the one to last. Um, and so it just, it does make me, uh, I you know, I have questions about this and maybe Sherry, you can help me out with uh, on how much would bleed into uh, messianic mm-hmm. s- sort of prophecies, that kind of thing because of how he's talking. Mm-hmm. Um, but the chapter ends with Balaam and Balak parting ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to connect those two just because, you know, it's it's all the back to back to back of going to the Lord and the the prophecies from God coming pretty much similar mm-hmm. um, uh, to one another. But then really the last, you know, which is not him sending, you know, for more information, but just like one more nail in that coffin where God says, you will like the purpose that I have for Israel is for them to last. All other nations need to be wiped out, you know, in, in one form or another. So, um, Elizabeth, I'm going to start with you on your um, observations in this section, these two chapters. Mm-hmm. So, I guess my biggest thing from these two chapters was is kind of connected to the big point that I made at the beginning, which is that God's message is not going to change. I know we talked about God's message is always going to be the same regardless of the messenger. Um, And even when you have the same messenger, that message isn't going to change depending on time or place. Or like when we talk about, um, when we try to make the distinction between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament that overlooks the consistency throughout everything, I think that really comes out here because Balak being a pagan would think, oh, if we go up to this different mountain, you know, maybe the message will be different, but that's not what happens. And so they keep moving. And that's why we have, you know, four oracles because he wants to keep moving. He wants something better to come of it. And it's not going to come. It kind of reminds me of, oh, it might've been Ahab, but it could have been another king where they're seeking counsel of the Lord and they're getting all this false counsel. They keep asking guys and they keep telling them what they want to hear, but it's not from the Lord. And you actually consult a prophet of God and it's like, yeah, bad stuff is going to happen. So it's almost like the reverse of that, where you keep actually consulting the Lord and the stuff that you don't want keeps happening, even though you keep trying to get it to change. 
Um, and Summer, I'm glad you brought out that part in the middle of 24 where Balaam's just trying to kind of uh, kind of keep a good rapport almost mm -hmm. like, yeah, we can still work together because in the verse right before that, Balak says, um, I said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. Mm -hmm. And I can just imagine Balaam's blood boiling at that because like he wants to work with him. He wants to curse Israel, mm -hmm. but then saying, oh, God has prevented you from getting honor. I can see mm -hmm. how that kind of manipulation mm -hmm. leads into what happens later right. would lead him to want to undermine God. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have much to add to the, um, whether, how messianic this prophecy is. I think that verse, the language in verse 17 does kind of lead me in that direction but then when I kept reading and everything seemed very immediate uh, my best guess is that it's like a combination of both like a little mm -hmm. long term and a lot of short term mm -hmm. that that was about the extent of what I had yeah okay Sherry um and similar thoughts um this verse 17 I think is sort of a like a lot of passages that we have that sort of a hint of a messianic prophecy um, mostly, though, talking about the near and and semi-distant future. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, with all prophecies, um, with almost all prophecies in the Old Testament, you have something that's going to happen immediately, something that's going to happen in a couple hundred years, and something that's going to happen in a messianic mm -hmm. time. And so... Um, it doesn't mean that it's either a messianic prophecy or it's not a messianic prophecy. It means it's all of those things. Yeah. Um, and so I think this is one of those that like has sort of a hint of messianic. I don't think that Balaam knows what he's talking about. I think right. he's just talking because God is putting this spirit in him that he's right. making this prediction. And um, he doesn't really know what it's about. Um, uh, he. It seems like um, God has sort of take, taken over his, at least in this, in the last oracle, mm -hmm. um, my Bible calls it Balaam's final oracle, um, that, um, uh, that it's, um, it was probably sung. Mm -hmm. It's probably a song. So most of, um, and this is just in the research that I've done recently, it seems like um, all the thing, a lot of the things that we have in, in the, particularly in the Old Testament, um, that are in poetry form are that way. We've talked about this before so that people could remember them, but I think they were probably sung. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think um, that Balaam is just, and it's not sung like an opera, more some, well, kind of, but more like a, a chant. Yeah. And right. um, um, so I think that this is, in this instance, I don't know about the others, but in this instance, I think that it is God sort of taking control of Balaam's mouth, and Balaam doesn't understand any of it until after he's already said it. Right. Like, he's learning it right along with right. Balak. That, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, I just said that, so, hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> um, but it's because it's a... It's a it's a short term and a long term um, 
indictment of other nations besides just Moab. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Balak is only concerned about Moab. Um, and, um, and this is the other thing. So this just came into my mind. But, but there, there's, it's always confusing to me, like, are we talking about Moab or are we talking about Midian? Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of used interchangeably. Right. Because like, it says that the people of Moab went to the elders of Midian. Yeah. So does that mean, like, what does that mean? Does that, does that mean Midian and Moab are interchangeable? Or it seems like maybe Moab is a reference to their lineage, mm-hmm. and Midian is more a reference to where they lived. Um, I, I know there are Midianites, so that, but it seems like the Midianites came from a different line of Abraham, and so... Maybe they were, maybe the Moabites were living in the land, and so they were just sort of intermingled with the Midianites. Midianites. Anyway, that always kind of confused me, but I think it's just, I don't think they're interchangeable, but I think they're, I think they're, um, at least mingled. They're mingled together. So mm-hmm. it's Moabites living in Moab, which is sort of part of the greater Midianite area. Mm-hmm. Um, um, anyway, um, he, he, he brings an indictment against the Amalekites, um, which isn't going to happen for a while. It's not going to happen right away. They're not going to destroy the Amalekites until, uh, Saul. Mm -hmm. And even then they don't destroy them all. But, but, um, um, uh, they were really difficult to snuff out. Um, uh, he talks about the Kenites, which were, um, relatives of, um, uh, Jethro, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, speaks favorably of them in general. Um, and that is something that's not going to happen for a while either. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that happens, you know, um, that happens in the book of Exodus, uh, towards the end. So, um, <clears throat> and that, and, and the Kenites, um, continued to live among the Israelites as if, as if they were kind of part of the same group. Um, for a long time, so um, so I, I think that I think that prophecy is just short term, medium term, long term, altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as far as um, chapter twenty three, my uh, and we talked about this too. That um, chapter twenty three, my favorite verse, one of my favorite verses um, in the Old Testament, uh, and definitely in this reading is verse 19 of chapter 23 God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it um, and so I think this is I just I just love that passage because we, we sometimes we do we treat God like he's another person that we're bargaining with mm-hmm. um, uh, and he's not he's not going to change his mind um, and he's not going to say that he's going to do something and not do it right um, the way that he does it may end up being different than what you thought it was going to be but if he says he's going to do something he's going to do it mm-hmm. it might not even be in the time frame that you think it might be a long time from now but if God says you know the Amalekites are slated for destruction they're going to be slated for destruction mm-hmm. and um, it may not be in your lifetime, 
It may not be in anyone's lifetime hundreds of years after that, but it's going to happen. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, um, so I really like that verse, and um, and I think that um, that 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 is Balaam talking to Balak. Um, he says right in in verse eighteen, he says, uh, "Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor." He's talking to Balak, and I think that so. I think the mindset of Balak is like, okay, there's gods, mm-hmm. and this particular god seems to be a little bit more influential than the rest of the gods, right. and so I, um, and and so he can be bargained with just like the other gods, mm-hmm. quote unquote, could be bargained with, and so I think this partly is Balaam saying, no, no, no you don't understand. This is not like one of your idols mm-hmm. that you can influence. This is somebody else. This is God. He doesn't change his mind. He's not going to be bargained with. So, um, I, I think that Balak just kind of, and, and you can see that because he tries to take him to different places as if the God of this mountain is different than the God of this mountain over here. Right. And, um, I think this is Balaam saying, look, <laughs> this is, this is not your regional little, you know, gods that have squabbles against each other. This is, the God of heaven, the one who made us, and he's not he's not like a person. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't you didn't make him up, and I didn't make him up. This is the way it is. Um, and whether whether Balaam believes that or not is what he it's, it's what he says. Um, also, um, I wanted to look at some of the other references to this story um, in scripture. I found one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, excuse me, nine different references um, to this story. Um, two of them, three of them in the New Testament, um, Revelation 2.15, uh, 2 Peter 2.15 that we talked about, Jude 11, uh, all reference the story of Balaam with relation to some some part of the story. Um and then um, it's also mentioned uh, in the book of Joshua is when we find out that Balaam is killed. He's not killed for a while because it's like halfway through the book of Joshua before Balaam is mentioned again and he's killed. Um, but then the rest of the, uh, the passages, except for Numbers 31, which is coming up, um, are all mentions of blessings, the the blessings of Balaam. Joshua 24, Deuteronomy 23, Nehemiah chapter 13, and Micah uh, chapter 6 all mention his blessings. They don't mention his sin or or um, or the result of it or whatever. Um, they all mention, so, so his blessings, which are the words that came from God, basically, um, through Balaam's uh, voice. In Numbers 31, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, so um, I won't dwell too much on it because I don't want to take away from that, but it, in Numbers 31, verse 16, um, is one of the few references that we have of Balaam's advice and what, what Balaam is actually known for. Um, in verse 15 of Numbers 31, um, Moses said to them, 
and this is after this incident that's going to be coming up next time um, in chapter 25. Have you let all the women live? Behold, these, on Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor, and so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. So that's where we first find um, a reference to what happened and why Balaam is known for this advice. Um, and then uh, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 15, um, uh, talking to, speaking to the church um, at Pergamon, yeah, Church of Pergamon, um, it says um, in verse, I put 15, but it's actually 14, I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Um, so there's another reference to it, and that's where, where you start to get the idea that maybe Balaam is more of a byword than anything else. Um, when, when he says the teaching of Balaam, everybody knows what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. We're talking about um, um, putting a stumbling block before people. Um, so causing them to sin, not directly, but sort of indirectly. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and, that's, and, it, and it worked. It worked. It caused Israel to sin. And, um, and I think Balaam's, uh, Balaam's uh, advice was, okay, you can't get God to curse these people, but if they go against God, then he'll take his wrath out on them. Mm -hmm. Of course, the problem with that was that it, that didn't save Moab. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, okay, get God to curse the people of Israel, and then he'll save you. No, he won't. Right, right. <laughs> Basically, he's going to destroy all of you. So, yeah. like, yeah. So, you know, but it's still thinking loves company, I guess. Right. Well, it's still thinking like you were talking about in military strategic terms, right. which is the way his brain was operating is right. let's get them into a weakened state. Yes, exactly. But like you said, it still gave them no advantage. It's yeah, but that, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that it's going to benefit you any. Right. That it's going to be worse for you mm -hmm. because here you've gone around the horn and tried to yeah. tried to um, tried to do it in a different way. Um, and then uh, the second Peter um, uh, verse is really more talking about the donkey incident and just saying, saying and verse, 2 Peter 2.15, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain for wrongdoing. So, loving gain for wrongdoing. That was Balaam's sin that Peter is talking about. Um, but was rebuked for his own transgressions. A speechless donkey spoke with him in human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So he had to be actually rebuked by a dumb animal to, you know, it says it restrained his madness. In other words, to sort of snap him out of mm -hmm. his stupor that, that, um, that he could, like, that he could not obey God. Um, or that he could sort of go around and, and try to get, try to be able to thread the needle, 
Mm-hmm. So um, do what God said, but still profit from it. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, so, uh, and then in in um, Jude eleven, um, he mentions um, he mentions um, Balaam's error. Uh, and compares it to Korah's rebellion. So um, in verse 11 it says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, so he compares them to Cain as well, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's Korah's rebellion. So uh, he's lumped in there with Cain and Korah's rebellion in um, in, Korah's when when Judas is um, trying to um, trying to characterize what these particular people that he's talking about uh, people that are like unreasoning animals under, mm-hmm. uh, uh, <clears throat> so anyway those are the those are the passages that stuck out to me and um, uh, in the in the in these couple of chapters where um, it's just a discourse about um, Balaam's um, prophecies. Um, um, I didn't see anything uh, other than you know it's a, it's a really kind of cool thing to read about um, um, what Balaam said and what actually happened, which was exactly what he said was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's just interesting to read that. So the last chapter is 25, mm-hmm. and this is, we're going from, you know, the narrative of the interaction between Balaam, Balak, and um, God's judgment, you know, on, mm-hmm. on not only Balaam, but uh, also on other nations as well. And this is one that, a chapter that um, has stayed with me for a long time um but in particular uh as we near the end of the chapter of uh, Finney has uh, his reaction but um in chapter 25 uh it's it, to me it's almost like we've got sort of a like you know sherry as you were saying we don't have all the details here that we do in other passages but it's almost like here's the result mm-hmm. of um this interaction with Balaam and Balak um, because in 25 opens up with uh, the Israelites committing sexual immorality with the daughters of Moab. Um, they're offering their sacrifices to God, to their gods, and it's infiltrating through um, the Israelites. And, of course, God's wrath is turned against the people um, in response to that. And uh, I did think it was interesting, and I'm going to try to fly through this just, you know, because of our time being short, being running low here. But um, verse 4, where God says to Moses, arrest all the leaders of the people, hang them up before the Lord in broad daylight so that the fears of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. Um, it, because it is, it's such a sharp, this is so ridiculous. You know, why are we even... Why, why is this even going on among my people? Um, and then uh, a few verses later, um, we see, and it, this just, I don't know, 
so much about this, but mm-hmm. verse 6, when uh, one of the Israelites comes and brings for his brother a Midianite woman in plain view, it says, mm-hmm. of Moses and the whole congregation. Mm-hmm. And that is when Phinehas, uh, which is in the you know Levite, he's son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, he gets up, gets the javelin, and says, we're done. Mm-hmm. And he goes ahead and spears the man and the woman Mm-hmm. Um, through and she was, you know, in essence, a big player. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's, you know, the daughter of uh, what was it, a prince mm-hmm. of uh, Midian. And so, anyway, that's the point at which the plague stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, verse nine says there were twenty four thousand that died, um, and and those numbers just always blow my mind. That you know what what that even I cannot comprehend. You know. Uh, to be among Israel and that many die due to a plague, due to sinful behavior. Um, but God does make a point and says, you know, after that, this is the reason it stopped. And because of that, because of his action for, in his zealousness for God, not mm-hmm. for himself, not for anything, you know, of selfish nature. Mm-hmm. Verse 12, he gave him a covenant of peace um, that was to be a, a covenant of permanent priesthood, again, because he was zealous for God. Um, and then uh, very end of 25, um, we go through that description of who the woman was. Um, mm-hmm. And it says, uh, verse 17, bring trouble to the Midianites and destroy them because they bring trouble to you by their treachery with which you have deceived, they have deceived you in the matter of Peor. Um, and that's where it goes back to that deception that you were talking about of how pervasive that is, um, where when we are not focused on, as Phinehas was, being zealous for God and giving glory to God, well, what's left but that we act as everybody else around us, whatever that happens to look like, you know, which, I mean, and again, we know this, but it is just a wonderful, it is a good reminder for us that there's never been a time in history where the majority of people on God's earth have been doing godly things. Mm-hmm. That just is, that's just not mm-hmm. a thing that happens. And so I think we have to be very vigilant. I know we have to be very vigilant to remind ourselves of that, that there's never a time we can look around us and go, well, so-and-so's doing that, you know, like or most people are accepting whatever. That's never been a thing. You know, mm-hmm. it has always been you are special and set apart and you are to be holy. Um, and I know, I know so many times we forget that. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a good reminder mm-hmm. to not do that. Elizabeth, um, we're getting closer in our time, but I don't, I want you to be able to bring out anything you saw in that chapter in particular. Yeah. There was only one thing that I wanted to ask about because I was kind of confused about the plague because I could not find where in chapter 25 it said that the plague started, mm-hmm. only that it ended. So the mm-hmm. closest idea that I had was we talked earlier um, in 21 about how with the the bronze serpent, that plague didn't end. You just survived it. So I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if it was ending that plague mm-hmm. or if it was a second one that it just didn't say it started. So I, I, I don't know is the answer there. I've got. Do, Sherry, do you have any mm-hmm. insight on that? That's a good question. Yeah, good question. Um, um, 
I think probably, um, yeah, it doesn't say where the plague started. It only says what it's, it seemed, it always seemed to me like that at some point it started and it just doesn't say. Um, at some point, uh, oh, okay, so in verse uh, 8, and when, uh, verse 7, when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation, took a spear in his hand, and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man and Israel of the Lord. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. So it seems to me like that is a different plague. I'm like, that's a plague that started because of, uh, because of this, um, because of this immediate sin that, um, that the people are, um, whoring after the daughters of Moab in verse one. Um, and um, 21, uh, you know, you had made the point and I think rightfully so that I think the only, quote, stopping of that plague mm. would be the looking up at the serpent. Mm -hmm. I don't know that there mm -hmm. was an end other than that. Other than that. Is my guess. I mean, that's mm -hmm. some assumption in there. Mm -hmm. But anyway, but yeah. good question. Yeah. I think this is, I think this is, it, seem, it, it seems to indicate to me that this is like a different plague that started because of what they were doing. Because they were getting ready to go into the land of promise and they were... Um, they were living on the eastern side of the of the uh, river and um, getting ready to go across and then the Moabites weren't able to defeat them so they just sort of tried to infiltrate them a little bit and that's when that plague started and I, I, I don't have any idea like when in the 40 years of wandering this mm -hmm. incident happened right. it, it, it seems like it's Sort of at the end, but we don't, I don't know. Like, was it after thirty-five years? Was it after thirty-eight years? Was right. It, you know, who knows? Um, but um, and how far distant that was from the from the snakes? Yeah. Um, incident. Um, yeah. I, I I don't know, but but it seems like it's it's separate, and it seems like it also seems like it it wasn't immediate. Like after this. Um, uh, after the Balaam and Balak story, this happens. I don't think it was immediate because there had to have been time for them to, um, for for that to for that plan to work. Mm -hmm. You know, for them to be able to infiltrate and you know, because you, it's not like they just show up one day and go, "Hey, here are these Moabite women. How about these gals?" Yeah, right. Um, you know, it's more like. It, because it, it got to a point where this person, um, this person in verse six, um, brings this woman before in the in front of everybody and doesn't seem to think it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Like it's not like everybody was like, oh, you know. Uh, I mean, some people were, yeah. but most people weren't because otherwise he wouldn't have done it. You know, he wouldn't have just like flaunted it. You know, when when people get to the point where they're flaunting something like that, it's like. Well, you know, I didn't know this was going to be that big of a deal. Right. And mm -hmm. most people are like, oh, okay, well, you know. Yeah. And so uh, it had to have taken time. Right. So I'm guessing, you know, that mm -hmm. that plague that killed 24,000 people would have started at some point, you know, just prior to this. Yeah. 
Well, I appreciate uh, all your comments and being able to go through that uh, as quickly as we were able to because there's a lot to cover. And looking forward to next time we get together when we're starting to look at the new census and I believe um, heading more, like Sherry was saying, in the direction of starting to look towards the promised land. So thank you so much.